You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. It's Helen Farmer with you on Dubai I 103.8. This is Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinney's. Your chance to eat well, live well, shop well, cook well, and my goodness, get some inspiration from the best in the business. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. We are talking food, of course, this afternoon. It's Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinney's and delighted to be joined now by the king of all things protein. It is Kathy Manager at Spinney's Harry Murphy as we talk barbecue. Harry, be honest, do you think the temperature's dropping? Could we be almost in barbecue season? I think we're nearly there, Helen. Um, we Certainly, we could do it another few degrees off, but um, we've actually launched a, a huge range of barbecue products last week already uh, with a view to getting people back out grilling again. Come on, Dubai. I had um, like a little visit to the beach after work the other night and picked up the kids and there was... There wasn't a chill. That's nonsense. But it, there was a lovely little breeze, and I thought winter was coming. And you know what? I've got such a good feeling about this winter. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to camping, looking forward to barbecuing. And food is a massive part of that. I'm, I'm a firm believer that so many of our memories are centered around food. And when I think about like the barbecuing of my childhood... Maybe wasn't the best. No disrespect to my dad, who I don't think is listening from the UK today. But there was lots of... Him in a cagoule, <laughs> under an umbrella, barbecuing in the rain in the Lake District while we kind of watched from a caravan. Um, Look, that sounds very reminiscent to my own upbringing, really? Helen, to be honest. And uh, unfortunately, uh, in Ireland and the UK, we don't really get the weather to, you know, grilling regularly. So I don't think people get enough practice. Sometimes. No, exactly. So for a long time, I thought barbecue was, well, to be honest, kind of rock-hard chicken breasts and sausages that my dad, bless him, was so worried that were going to give us food poisoning that he would just completely incinerate them. Um, <laughs> so it's been a bit of a revelation being in the UAE where we have got the weather to actually enjoy and research and we've got, you know, lucky to have barbecue from all over the world as well when we think about, you know, South Africa, you know, Indian tandoor and... When, when you really think about it, and I've spoken to Hatta Matar of Matar Farm about, about this as well, smoke is the original ingredient. You know, everybody, every cuisine in the world has some kind of riff on barbecue, cooking over open flame. It's just been really interesting to see how it's been developed and, and embraced. And obviously, Spinney's being a big part of that, trying to make our lives considerably easier. Um, so... Can, before we get into some recipes, which I know were in the magazine as well, and we're, we're sharing some today, what, yep. are, what are some of the most common mistakes that you've seen people make, Harry, when it comes to firing up the grill? Okay, common mistakes. Um, I mean, start from the, the beginning. It's really important to have a clean grill. Uh, sometimes I think people uh, like to leave a bit of extra seasoning on their, mm-hmm. uh, on their grills uh, in the hope that it might add more flavour the next time they cook. But... Um, I think you should have enough flavour from from the meat and the marinades and the rubs that you have that you don't need to be uh, topping up with something you've used previously. So starting with a, a clean slate as such is, is super important. And um, then preheating, so similar to, to when you cook uh, with an oven, um, really, really important that you have your grill preheated and also that you have your food and um, you leave it out of the fridge and relaxing to get to room temperature. And so this avoids um, the meat toughening up when it get cold meat getting a shock from mm. really, really warm flames or, or charcoal. And it enables you to actually cook things through properly and, and avoid, um, unfortunately, that cliche, which I think you, you mentioned earlier of the burnt on the outside and potentially raw on the inside. Um, so that's that's really really important. I think as well in terms of the the implements you use, um, maybe stay away from forks or things that are going to puncture uh, the meat because that that actually allows a lot of moisture to to be released and will end up with quite a dry and um, dry food at the end of it. And if you're using a, a flipper for things like burgers or or even for steaks please, please resist the urge to press down on the food and, and watch the, the, the fat and the moisture disappear down into the, the flames oh. um, because that's, that's really taking away from the, from the product. I like that. Um, don't feed the flames. Feed your friends. No, don't, it's, it's... don't feed the flames. And uh, that, that's actually a nice, uh, nice segue on to the next point about flames. And um, if you can, try keep the flames uh, away from touching the food consistently. Uh, so little flare-ups are okay as fat or, or sauce or marinade t- catches 
catches the flame. Um, but the food shouldn't constantly be surrounded by fire or on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, that will burn it on the outside and will, will actually dry it. And you need to be really, really careful with, in particular, sweet marinades um, because sugar burns really easily. So if possible, um, just keep, keep that flame a little bit away from your food. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are, of course, talking food this afternoon through until five o'clock. Harry Murphy's joining us now. He's the king of all things protein at Spinney's, where he's a category manager. And now we're talking sauces and marinades. When should you prepare and apply that marinade, Harry? Well, look, if if you had the, the time and the, the forward planning, if you can do it around 24 hours ahead of uh, when you actually want to cook, that's brilliant. But the, there's nothing to say that you can't marinate an hour or two before cooking and, and not have a, a perfectly good product. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and we, we try to help out with that as well. So we've uh, launched our biggest and most ambitious barbecue range of, of pre-marinated products this year. Um, so there's 20 different products, all pre-marinated and ready for people to go for people who don't have time to wait uh, a full day or two to uh, get flavour into their food. Okay. Harry, it's time to make us hungry. Talk to us about this range. I actually spied some in store the other day and it sounded amazing. Lots of sticky ribs and, as you say, you've done the prep for us. We just need to kind of get the grill ready. So what are some of your favourites from that new selection? So we've done it across all of the the proteins. Uh, We've got beef, lamb and chicken products. Uh, We've also added in some salmon lines for for fish lovers as well. But uh, this year we've taken a bit of inspiration from uh, different regions uh, to, you know, reflect the international community of customers that we have. So we've got um, North African flavours like chermoula on our lamb. We've um, taken some inspiration from South America with chimichurri for our, our ribeye steaks. And we've brought in a shawarma chicken thigh also oh. to reflect more of a local uh, local cuisine favourite. And right. so they'd be just a, a few of the a few of the many lovely products we have. But um, just to, to give an idea of the, the scope, people will still be able to get classic barbecue flavours like smoky barbecue and sweet and sticky as well on some of the other cuts. Harry Murphy joining us this afternoon, Captain Manager at Spinney's. Any questions? Get in touch four zero zero one. Harry, can I ask you to kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit when it comes to developing a whole new range or certainly adding to an existing range such as this what happens when it comes to tastings and for something like barbecues are you doing it inside like what happens from concept we'll sort of look around at food trends around the world and and again some of those will be emerging and some of them uh, will be existing and, and firm favourites. I'll brief out a range of ideas for different cuts and flavour profiles to our NPD team. Uh, they'll come back with different recipes. We'll cook them over a grill as we want our customers and expect our customers to experience them and use them and make any tweaks necessary to take away from flavours or add more into certain flavours. And that, that period can last for a number of months until we, we get a product and a flavour profile that we're incredibly happy with and happy to, to sell to our customers. Not a bad job, Harry. Not a bad job, it has to be said. It's quite enjoyable, yeah, especially at this time of year. I bet, I bet. Now, what about spice rubs? We've, we've talked marinades. What role do rubs play and how can they lend themselves to different meats? Okay, so rubs are really good. They actually are quite often better at permeating meat. So with dry rubs, they can actually soak into the fat and soak into the the top layer of the meat a little bit better than a sauce or a marinade would. So um, in our our most recent uh, Spinney's magazine where we've profiled uh, barbecue season and everything to do with it, We've included a few really nice recipes, again, from from different parts of the world to enable people, if they don't want to buy something pre-prepared, to, in a few easy steps, just blend something up and and prep something to to have a bit of fun with with the meat. We've um, had a number of messages as well earlier, so we're going to be getting to the text line. But maybe, maybe this could bring it together because... We got a message from Bilal saying, first time barbecue next Saturday, brackets, weather permitting. Yeah, there's always one person that calls it a bit too early. It's like, barbecue at mine. You stand there going, my knees are sweating. 
<laughs> Can I go inside now? Uh, so Bilal, weather permitting, is having a barbecue next Saturday. He said, quite a few vegetarian guests. Please, can you furnish me with some vegetarian barbecue ideas? Skewers, perhaps, but of what? What would you suggest? I know you are protein king, but uh, we yeah. can't forget our veggie friends, whether that is as a main or as a as, as a side as well. No, we, we absolutely can't. And my recommendation for cooking veggies on the barbecue would be to use veggies with a good firm texture so something and if you'll excuse the use of meat here but meaty Mm -hmm. veg like aubergines are brilliant and because they've got a really firm texture inside so you can just slice aubergine into discs do a few minutes on either side on the on the grill and they turn out really really nice and it actually with the skin they they get a beautiful natural smoky flavor welcome back to farmer's kitchen with spinnies eat well live well only on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is, fingers crossed, becoming barbecue season. So we are this afternoon picking the brains of Harry Murphy. He is Mr. Protein at Spinney's. He's the category manager of protein and dairy. But don't worry, he's not snubbing you veggies and he's on hand to help. Recommending veggies, including aubergines on the barbecue. But what else? Asparagus is also excellent. You can just very quickly blanch it with uh, some some boiling water or some steam and get that off them and just get, get it onto the grill it chars up beautifully especially up at the at the top and i think that's a that's a really nice thing to to serve to anyone uh, vegetarian or not uh, at a barbecue and um, courgette also really really good and um, you can just have it straight down the the middle um, or cut it into strips but with courgette you just need to be quite careful when you're cooking it uh, because it's quite delicate it can burn very easily so you just need to keep an eye on that one and one of my favorite things i had recently was like charred red peppers and it was halloumi inside and that worked really really well but i wonder if that would work on a skewer as well i don't obviously not vegan for the halloumi but definitely veggie i love it love a red pepper turning our attention to a meat recipe can you share something that we could perhaps be trying this weekend picking up from the shelves as well okay well look i've i've given you a bit of detail on that range of products that we've launched so if you're looking for something with loads of flavor and you don't want the hassle of having to prepare it any of our new spinnies grill range will, will be perfect and um, outside of that uh, my absolute favorite piece of meat to cook is um coat de buff but mm. so bone-in ribeye so that goes really really well on a grill just season it with a little bit of salt and pepper uh, very soon before cooking and um, you don't want to put the salt and this will apply for any grilling but don't put the salt on too early because that will actually start to extract moisture from the meat and so just a, a light rub of salt and pepper get it on the grill go really hot at the start to seal it or sear it and then get the heat down and let it cook to your um, desired level of doneness. And something I should have actually mentioned in terms of the when we were discussing techniques earlier, the, the absolute most important thing I think people can have when they're grilling outside of the actual barbecue itself is a meat thermometer. And so some, something I avoided using for years uh, with a sort of a, a mistaken sense of pride in uh, being able to look at meat and know when it was cooked. And um, a meat thermometer is brilliant because it, it will tell you exactly what temperature the meat is in the core and you'll be able to cook it to the perfect level of doneness for you and or your guests. Is it not really hard to control doneness on a barbecue? I just feel like sometimes it's raw and then done <laughs> is there a certain part of the grill where you've got a bit more control harry and um, so look if you're cooking with a gas grill uh, it's relatively easy to control the heat because it works like you're uh, essentially a hob at home or an oven you can turn the heat up and down uh, if you're cooking over charcoal or wood it's a little bit more difficult but the way you can avoid that if you have enough space is to stack quite a lot of coal or wood on one side and to have one side either with um, with none at all or just a very thin layer and even being able to transfer the meat from one side to the other where it's not getting all of the direct heat that that really really helps when you're when you're trying to get that uh, finishing off piece particularly on larger pieces of, of beef or lamb and something as simple as just letting more air in so look get, getting the lid off uh, is the quickest way of, of cooling it down and getting uh, getting everything back down to a manageable temperature really quickly. Harry Murphy, um, this is where we, things get a bit contentious, to be honest. Where do you stand on gas versus charcoal or indeed wood? 
Um, so look, traditionalists absolutely love to cook with uh, wood uh, and charcoal. Um, I'm I'm equal opportunities if I'm honest <laughs> between the two. Um, I I would love to have the time to to. Uh, preheat my coals and preheat my wood and let let it get up to temperature before cooking but um, I, I do think there's a place for, for gas barbecuing as well in terms of if you just don't have enough time but you still want the great experience of cooking with fire and, and getting that smoke onto the product and um, I think that uh, yeah I think that that has a, a place that is very worthwhile very very diplomatically answered thank you for that um, you mentioned earlier the importance of a meat thermometer we got a message um, from Laura saying husband's birthday coming up loves grilling any gift ideas what would you recommend to uh, the man or woman who may love to get their grill on to make life a little bit easier or just make them feel like a real kind of boss of the barbecue? Okay, well, look, the, a, a couple of the things I mentioned earlier. So get, get some good barbecue tongs, which will enable you to flip things and move it around easily and um, between the different parts of your grill. A turner or a, a flipper, also really, really good to have for things like burgers. But again, please don't uh, use it to press on the meat. Um, I, I would avoid forks personally for the, the reasons given earlier. You don't want to let all the, the lovely juice escape. But yeah, those basic influence, implements, uh, a meat thermometer, absolutely. If they want to uh, you know, get really, really creative and start getting basters to, to inject flavor into, into the meats, that's also a really cool thing to do, but uh, I would uh, see how they get on with the basic equipment first, and then you can you can ramp it up a bit from there. I love it, basting. This is like next level barbecue, but people take it very very seriously. You know, like very seriously. So, what about you? If you were having a few friends over for a barbecue, what would be on your kind of ideal menu? Let's say it's for you and five others, so you know, six people. What kind of spread would you be putting on? And you are allowed to hit up the Spinney's deli section because I can't make a potato salad as good as that one. <laughs> okay. Um, well, if I was having friends over, I'd, uh, thankfully I'm in a position where I've, uh, w- with the, the help of the team here, created a, a range of products that I'm incredibly happy with. So I definitely have some beef there, uh, some ribeye. So I, I'd take some of the chimichurri ribeye steaks and I wouldn't serve them as steaks. I would cook them between rare to medium rare and I would uh, slice them so and leave them in a sort of a plate in the middle for people to just take bits and pieces as they wanted. Um, I would do some lamb, uh, so simple garlic and herb lamb chops. Um, again, cook them medium rare, nice and pink in the middle. Um, that's I think it's always fun even for the experience of people picking up a bone and, uh, and, and taking the meat off it. Um, it's you know an authentic barbecue experience. I think I would have some burgers there as well, classic quarter pounders, or if you if you want to be a bit more creative with the flavour, something like a bone marrow burger is is brilliant. Chicken pieces, so drumsticks and wings uh, with some of the classic barbecue flavours. So get uh, sweet and sticky drumsticks and then some spicy wings. And I think you've a you've a nice mixture oh of uh, meat for people to select from, and yes, yeah, some nice some nice flavours there too. So hungry. You are killing me. Okay, now this is a bit controversial as well, but where do you stand on desserts on the barbecue? My kids love camping, but I I genuinely think the main reason I like camping is because we make s'mores. Um, Well, I was going to say, yeah, s'mores are are a classic. I'd I'd recommend anyone to to cook s'mores and if they haven't tried them to to absolutely have a go at them. Being very honest, uh, limited experience with desserts on barbecues outside of s'mores and bananas sliced down the middle and with little bits of Mars bar in the middle. I knew you were going to say that. You, don't mess with the classics. I think that's absolutely, absolutely spot on. Um, what uh, I wanted to ask you, though, was you just mentioned their um, drumsticks and uh, and chicken. Angel messaged earlier, 4001, saying, got a packet of chicken drumsticks for dinners. Any idea how to make a quick barbecue sauce? Lots of recipes out there, but I want something yum. So if you're not buying a pre-made sauce, you're just going to kind of whip up something that you might have in your fridge or your, or your cupboards. Any good flavours okay. you'd be bringing together? Yeah, well, um, we spoke briefly about the um, rub recipes that, that we have in our magazine so something like the the Mexican coffee and cacao mole rub which sounds Ooh. quite complex but it's actually made up of um, a lot of ingredients that people will generally tend to have in their spice cupboards so things like coriander and cumin seeds uh, crushed chilies, uh, paprika cacao powder, allspice uh, amongst a few others and um, so that that's a 
particular rub that actually goes well with a load of different type of proteins. It goes with dark meat just as well as it does with light meat. But th- that would be absolutely outstanding with drumsticks if uh, if you wanted to have a go at it. Oh, you're killing me. Okay, Harry, before I let you go, um, the prize this afternoon is 500 dirhams. For, and you can't win it, I'm afraid. But for someone out there listening, could be winning 500 dirhams to spend in local spinnies on whatever they want if i was going to give you 500 dirhams to spend what would you be getting and you don't need to say protein although if you wanted to make your dream barbecue setup that would be quite useful okay look if if you're starting from scratch get yourself a meat thermometer a good set of barbecue tongs and and then some beautiful meat to to use them both on sold thank you sir always a pleasure um and lastly and I, i i don't want to put you on the spot but i will if i'm going to swing by spinnies tonight and pick up something from that new barbecue range, what do you feel like is the best of the bunch that you're really, really proud of? Um, I would recommend the teriyaki beef skewers. So teriyaki is a Japanese flavor. It's been around for hundreds of years, complements pretty much any meat in the world, but particularly with beef and beef skewers with the mixture of veg, it's absolutely outstanding. Sold. Thank you very much. Making everybody hungry. Tummies rumbling across Dubai. Harry Murphy. Thank you for joining us. The king of all things protein category manager at Spinney's wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead. Get your grill on. Thank you very much, Alan. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. It is time to talk the latest food news and delighted to be joined by founder and CEO of the Pangolin Group, the man behind the Pangolin restaurant, Sergio Lopez, live on the line. Sergio, before we start talking about what's happening with you guys and the menu and, of course, turning our attention to the headlines as well, if I was going to give you 500 dirhams to spend in Spinney's, what would be going into your uh, into your trolley? I mean, it's like uh, probably will be the same that what what I would take to a uh, an island. It would be just cheese, bread, and chocolate. Oh. That would be <laughs> that would be what I would buy anywhere to take with me. You know, that's uh, I can live with any of those things. Oh, great answer. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that big time. You've been full of busy recently, and we always think about the summer being traditionally quite a quiet time for Dubai on the F&B front. Looking back over the last few months, what's been happening at the Pangolin? I mean, actually, I think like in the Pangolin, as well as everyone in Dubai, I think this summer was, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we were even thinking, is people going to stay or is everyone going to go? So uh, eventually what happened was the, the, the latter, you know, so everyone left. And instead of leaving for like four, six weeks, everyone had left for like almost three months. So um, I think the the Pangolin, as many other F&B businesses, have suffered the summer a lot, has been very, very quiet. Because also for us, we base a lot ourselves into community. So everyone around our community, they were like basically gone for the whole summer. So uh, we use that time to really, you know, refocus and just get together and, and working on, on what we have called the season two uh, of the Pangolin with different episodes that are going to be happening like uh, every week, every couple of weeks, we're bringing new things into it. So basically summer... It was for us a way to to get together and uh, and think about the next season, so which is uh, has started already and has started very very well. Yeah, that's that's basically what we use summer for. How do you describe the ethos and the food? If I just landed from Mars and I was like, I'm going to come to the Pangolin, but why? What would you say? I mean, for us, it's all about like nostalgia and comfort food. Um, we do everything from scratch, so everything that you eat at the Pangolin is is done from from zero, you know, all uh, our breads, our pastas, we cure our own meats. We even have a little garden, which we are doing our own uh, little vegetables. We are partnering with local Emirati farms that they are providing us with, with some of their, their local produce. So for us, it's, it's all about comfort food. It's nostalgia, reminds you to like all dishes, you know, when we were young, simple and, and good value for money. Is there a dish that you feel like if you haven't eaten X at the Pangolin, you haven't really had the full experience. One dish that feels like you on a plate, for example. Uh, for me, at the moment, my favorite dish is from the new menu because we have done a whole new menu. At the moment, one of my favorite dishes is called is the Esri Manti, which is basically a homemade baby ravioli stuffed with, uh, with herb shrimps and done with a nice creamy prawn bis- uh, bisque with tomatoes and a special caviar. 
Oh. So to be cool. So <laughs> it, it's one of these dishes that I actually, uh, I mean, I come every day and it's like, okay, I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it <laughs> because it's, I'm, I'm craving this dish. So it's probably one of my, my favorite dishes at the moment. Oh my goodness. That sounds incredible. Now, I've heard a whisper, and I couldn't have you on the show and not ask you this, but you are actually passionate about saving pangolins. <laughs> it's not just a name. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more. I mean, the, the thing is that I've been with pangolins like for many years. My wife is from Zimbabwe, so which is one of the, the areas where pangolins, uh, where pangolins live. So for, I don't know, the, since the first time I went to, to Zimbabwe, I was like, well, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I saw the pangolins and I saw how beautiful those creatures are and no one really knows about it. And, I mean, they're like the most trafficked mammal in the world. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. I mean, I could talk and talk about, like, how endangered these species are, how people treat them. So I've been always very passionate about the animal itself or, or and even saving, like, endangered species. Many of my other restaurants that I've done, uh, they have, like, a name of endangered species. I love this of you. I think that's a wonderful thing <laughs> to be putting your name to. Now, let's talk food. Um, yep. I've heard that you've taken a bit of a controversial stance on cloud kitchens and we've discussed cloud kitchens on on the show in the past but for anyone who's not familiar with that phrase Sergio how do you explain what a cloud kitchen is? I mean cloud kitchens are basically warehouses that they have like different kitchens within and then they just have different brands like a virtual brands most of them and what they do they just like cook the food there for that specific brand of that specific type of cuisine and then just focus on purely delivery. Mm-hmm. Some brands use those kitchens so they don't have to do their own central kitchen and they use those to, to expand their brands uh, to areas or regions that they would not be able to uh, to access because it's much easier to, to be part of a, of a cloud kitchen or than actually open a new restaurant on a different area. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Time to talk food news. And in the hot seat today is Sergio Lopez. He's the founder and CEO of the Pangolin Group, the man behind Pangolin at the Els Club. And he's telling us why he's not really sold on the idea of cloud kitchens. I mean, I feel like I'm a very, very traditional kind of restaurateur. You know, I believe that, uh, you know, and the restaurant itself, is the restaurant and food. I mean, what I got into food and beverage is because I love the... The, the community, I love the, you know, the experience of going to a restaurant and enjoy talking to friends, talking to people, you know, talking to the to the waiters, to the chef, uh, trying different things. And, and also the food is, is is not as fresh as when it comes straight away from the kitchen to, to your table than when it has to travel for like 20, 30, sometimes, you know, like an hour to reach to your, uh, to your location. Mm-hmm. So I'm very traditional in, in that sense. I mean, uh, but I also we know that everyone needs to evolve. I mean, we have seen how how it was with with COVID nineteen and, and the lockdown. So I understand that uh, some businesses need to need to change and need to evolve based on what the what the people want. And it's not that I'm against the cloud kitchens, but I think that that you know if everyone just end up going into cloud kitchens, then the res- restaurants itself, as as we know them, they will struggle a lot, and they will end up some of them they will end up disappearing. But still, I believe that people really want to go to a restaurant and sit down and feel the experience and talk to others and, and have a full food and beverage experience, you know, sitting at a table. So, so yeah, this, that's what, like, I'm, you know, 50-50 with, with cloud kitchens. And don't get me wrong, I help people to, to build cloud kitchens and central kitchens, and I give them advice of how to do it. So because I know there's a, there's a type of business. I mean, for example, in my restaurant, we don't do delivery. I think the food that, that we are doing is, as I said, it's, it's done, it's done from, from scratch, it's done at the moment, it's done like the freshness of it is not the same that if it will travel 20 minutes or, or 30 minutes to your house. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I'm 50-50 as well, because I love that at-home experience of, you know, being in my pyjamas. In terms of the economics of it, it can be a really wonderful way of people getting kind of getting a start without thinking about that restaurant um you know that those overheads but i love going out to eat (laughs) i love seeing what people are wearing Um, and what they're talking about and seeing what people are you know ordering like that for me seems to make food taste better and don't get me wrong i also order at home sometimes you know it comes fridays or saturdays or or whatever day and we are lazy i don't want to cook or you know had a long day or 
said, oh, let's order something. But we order very specific type of type of things. For example, if I want to have this three monthly that I told you about, no way I will just order it because I know it's going to come, you know, it's, it's not going to come the, the way it will taste and I will be a little bit disappointed. I think the, the, the cloud kitchens and the delivery is for specific types of cuisine. But that's my on my humble opinion. So, Jay, what's next for you? I know you're always planning and scheming. What's happening at Pangolin Group? Any any thoughts? Any new openings? I know you've just changed the menu and probably want to break, but you've always got yeah. something cooking. Yeah, I mean, we always like uh, doing a lot of things. I mean, as, as, as I said before, now with the season two for for the Pangolin, we are bringing a lot of things. We as not only the the menu, we are bringing entertainment. We are doing different festivals, you know, here in in the Pangolin. We are doing one every month. So uh, this month is about jazz. Next next month is about rock, and uh, and this and November is about soul. So it's about music and bringing like beverage and food uh, that relates to it, you know, for, for the, this jazz, we're doing some special beverage and some special also food that goes with, you know, some juniper type of drink that we all know what it, <laughs> what it is. So let's say that we're doing like juniper pops and we are doing like uh, juniper drinks and, you know, and, uh, and it's all about music. It's about community. We are bringing like different entertainment nights. So we are doing a lot of things for for the pangolin, and yeah, of course, we are always looking at at other markets and other uh, next ventures for for the near future. You know, it's like as I always say, I, I like you know the the happy stress is the one that makes me keep going. You know, so um, the happy stress that I've spoken yeah, like a t- like a true man in the food industry. So Jalifa, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Sounds like there's lots happening with you guys, and uh, really appreciate your thoughts on. Uh, on what's been happening around town too. Wishing you all the best. And for anyone who hasn't been to Pangolin, where can they visit you over the weekend? Can you give us the details online and in real life? Yes, so basically we are located at in uh, in Dubai Sports City at the extension of the Ailes Club, which is in Victory Heights. So there you can find us there or, or you can just, you know, just go and Google and put the Pangolin restaurant and then you will find us. Thank you. Really appreciate your time as ever. I know Thursdays are busy in the restaurant biz, so I'm going to let you get back to your team, back to the kitchens, and wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead. Thank you. Thanks, Helen. Always uh, great speaking to you. Have a lovely weekend. The Chef's Table. We are meeting the chef, and we're so lucky that here in the UAE, we've got some incredibly talented restaurateurs and chefs. And every Thursday... We get to meet them. We get to know one of them here on Farmer's Kitchen. Today it is executive chef of Hilton Russell Kamer Resort and Spa, where um, I've had many a very, very happy weekend. And we're speaking now to Ahmed Akasti Mohammed Dahari. Um, and aside from looking after the restaurants at the resort, he's also really focused on developing that new talent in the kitchen and promoting the use of sustainable and local ingredients. 20 years of experience in the food, hospitality and catering industry. And he even represented Malaysia as the resident chef during the World Expo in Milan 2015, winning third place from over 100 countries. Chef, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. How are you, sir? Hi, Helen. Fine, thank you. I'm so glad. I've been in the show this time to share about the food, you know? How are you? I am well, and I want to say thank you for all the amazing food that you serve up at the hotel. It's a really gorgeous spot there, and I am a firm believer that food plays a big part in our memories of being together and travelling, and it is so, so important. Exactly, exactly, yeah. You can create memories in the, about the foods, you know, anywhere you go, anywhere you've been, right? Absolutely. It's people coming together and sharing experiences. And I think Expo is a really good example of that. And as I said, you were at Expo 2015 in Milan. Yeah. Can you tell us yeah. about it, Chef? Yeah. yeah, I was there for about a year because I have to be there for six months uh, Expo. So I've been, uh, basically, my government of Malaysia nominated me as a resident chef for the our pavilion, basically. So we start the process, basically, when they build up the uh, the pavilion, then I have to construct, uh, design the menu, design the kitchen space. Because it's, because World Expo, they operate the very, very stringent uh, rules and policies. So the food that we want to bring as close as uh, a bite with the policy. So we managed to bring traditional and local Malaysian food in Milan 2015. Wow. wow. Yeah. I'm it's really... not easy. It's no. not easy because 
<laughs> to bring raw material direct from Malaysia to Milan. So, yeah, you know how is the logistic nightmare I have, you know. <laughs> well, that's the thing about being a chef. It's not just about being creative with food. Sometimes it's about creative with logistics and finances exactly, and exactly. people and resources. Yeah. Chefs, yeah. where yeah. were you born? I I born in uh, a place called uh, uh, Langar. Uh, it's situated in north of Malaysia, uh, the state called Kedah. What uh, I can tell you about my state, uh, we call the rice pot of Malaysia. Really? Because it's a border of between Thailand and uh, uh, Malaysia. So we are the north. So in that state, the whole state is feel full with rice, paddy, rice field. So we are the main producer of rice in the state and agriculture. That's where the place I born. Yeah. So this might be a silly question then, but what were you eating when you were growing up? <laughs> of course, rice. <laughs> Lots Morning, of rice. lunch, and dinner always rice. <laughs> <laughs> so who, who was the who was the cook then in your house? Who was making dinners for you, chef? Pardon? Who was Sorry? the cook? Who was who was putting putting those meals on the table for you? Uh, if I off day, of course, I will cook for my family when I work. Of course, <laughs> I cook myself, but the rest of the day is my, my wife will cook, you know. Yeah. And then what about growing up? What were, what were some of the dishes you were, you were making and who, uh, and, who, uh, and who was the chef? I mean, when I grew up when I was a kid, majority mm. is, uh, we, we cook very simple food back home in Malaysia. When, because I stayed with my grandma. Uh, I fondly remember the memories that she cooked for me. Just a simple fried rice with uh, fried onion and, uh, you know, the mackerel. Mm -hmm. We have the mackerel uh, balance from the dinner. We will take the mackerel meat and we put in the fried rice, simple garlic, that's all. So it's very simple taste that we have back home. There is normally food that I ate Sounds when, delicious. Uh, when I back home, you know. And, and, and then... Yeah. Obviously, you're from a part of the world where food is, you know, a really important part of the ecosystem and the economics of the country. But when did you think that food could be your career? When did you fall in love with food as a as a potential job? Oh, it is very interesting question, Ellen. You know, you know what the story began that uh, when I I small young, uh, my grandma, uh, you know, in the village they have community. Okay. Each community, they will have their own cook who will cook for event, parties, wedding or festive season. So my late grandma is the chief cook of that village. Wow. Big job. Yeah, being stay with her. So I follow her a lot when she cooked. That, that, that's how I grew up with all kind of foods, all kind of techniques that, you know, her grandma cooks, which is never been practiced here anymore. You know, that, that's how... The memory is how I uh, entice me to become a chef now, you know, because of uh, what I've been gone through when I young. Okay, mm -hmm. so that is interesting. And, yeah, that, and that's that. from a from a young age in Malaysia to here in the UAE. As I said, the exact chef of the whole resort. So, what does that job entail? With, I know you're obviously involved in the restaurants across the property, but is that creating menus? Is it looking after the finance side, team building? You've got a lot on yeah. your plate. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ellen, to be executive chef, it's not just become a good chef. You have to become a good businessman. You have to become a good leader. You have to become a good teacher. Mm -hmm. Right? So I'm operate basically in these properties and wherever I worked before. In this property particularly, I have around uh, 70 chefs wow. under me. Then I have 11 outlets. So my job basically is to make sure the operations are in line with the, uh, uh, let's say, the profile of each restaurant. And I have to make sure that the raw material are coming good qualities and the cost we are maintained based on the budget that uh, uh, given by the, the owning company and the management. And also I have to develop young talents. Now, okay, that is the part because uh, we must have young talent. That's why when... When I work here, we develop so many, so many uh, uh, plan for young talent to excel in their career. That, that's the most important part. Okay, so basically, as a leader, you have to be jack of all trades. Basically, mm -hmm. to be a chef, you know, it's not just about back at the stove just cook. You make yeah. sure that the <laughs> you give the business, uh, the, the I mean, the cost you have to make sure, and you have to train people. You know, so that is part of my job daily routines. You know, it, it's long hours. 
be a chef, I work from eight o'clock until nine o'clock every day. Yeah, but you must have patience. You have to have, or I say, uh, or I say, patience, and also you must just, or I can say that you must know what you put, and you must, uh, what say when you give food to the guests, you will enjoy. This is the most important things, you know. It's long hours. I know. But but that's you say, it's passion and patience and yeah. that love for not only bringing on the talent, but, you know, the enjoyment that guests must get from from eating yeah. eating your food. When it comes to, yeah. to spotting talent in young chefs, how do you spot it? What, what do you look for? Is it a particular skill? Is it an attitude? Is it a determination? Yeah, it's a very good question, Elaine, because... In new generations, a lot of new generation compared to that uh, before my age, when I started my career, because I enrolled in universities in uh, Malaysia, uh, we only enrolled only 20 people in one class. But now, a lot of young generation want to become chef. Mm-hmm. But not many of them succeed. You know why, Ellen? Because to spot the talent to become a chef is not just you want to become a celebrity. You must understand the whole process. You have to start from the bottom. Normally what I can see, I can ask. I don't take people who graduate with high uh, results. I always ask the new talent that I get what they want in their life. You know, Because in this job profile, it's a hardship. Okay, so I will spot the talent if this person really want to work for the money or for the career. I will decide they have to go for the career and they have to have patience, whatever they do. If they come just for money, they will not last long in this career. Island because uh, when I start off, although I have degree in in culinary art, I start at peel potato, cut the chili. So <laughs> eight hours is just like actually you can imagine how hard it is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no I space remember. for ego, no space. We've got yeah. a question here for you, Chef, um, on 4001 saying, love yeah. Malaysia, lived there for four and a half years. I'm wondering what kinds of nasi lamak do they make in the state of Kedah? It's usually different from state to state. I have no exactly. idea. I'd love to learn more, though. Can you tell us? Okay, nasi lemak basically is, I would consider, is our national dish. We eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner sometimes. Also, also sometimes for supper. Every state have different uh, recipe ingredients they put. I'm coming from the north, okay? My grandma always put in the nasi lemak uh, whole black pepper. Okay? That, oh, wow. Okay. Put lemongrass. That... You know why? Because when you eat nasi lemak, nasi lemak contains um, uh, uh, coconut milk, mm-hmm. right? So when you eat too much, sometimes you have bloated in your stomach, okay? The black pepper will reduce that, okay? So your, your, your stomach becomes ease. But back in the south of Malaysia, they didn't use black pepper. They used fenugreek seed. So each state... They improvise the recipe and the, the flavour and the taste is different. The Chef's Table. And this afternoon, our chef speaking to us from Hilton Rassel Kamer Resort and Spa. It is Executive Chef Ahmed Kasti Mohamed Dahari. From Malaysian descent here in the UAE, in charge of many, many chefs and many, <laughs> many outlets as well. He's a very busy man and I know Thursdays are a bit busy on the food front. So thank you for, for being with us this afternoon, chef. Thank you, thank How you on earth do you juggle that number of venues? And more to the point, if we were going to come to the resort this weekend... Which one do you think we should have dinner at and why? You should try our Italian restaurant here, Helen. Okay? You should come and try our Italian restaurant. What's <laughs> it's very, about it? Uh, because we have a very talented uh, Italian chef and also the menus that we always rotate uh, based on the raw material available, mm-hmm. fresh raw material available in UAE. Uh, we use try we use a lot of local producer from the local farmer in UAE as well in our restaurant here in Italian. Okay, uh, back to your question, how I manage and juggle between restaurant to restaurant. You know, how the, the, the operation works, each restaurant that I have is led by uh, chef de cuisine or sous chef. So I have basically a leader who manages each restaurant. So all these leaders will report to me on the operation matters and I will go and check uh, uh, on daily routine 
every time on the service time, lunch and dinner. That's how I juggle my time with them. Oh. That's why with restaurant to restaurant, I have to move. You know, we, we are our biggest resort. We have around uh, 1.5 kilometer beach here. I hope you get <laughs> yeah. uh, Your step uh, count must be through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Chef, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Really appreciate it. All the very best to you and the team. Keep in touch and uh, we'll report back from Expo because, as we know, there's going to be some local chefs and restaurants uh, yeah, at, at Expo 2020. <laughs> and uh, let's, try and, let's try and meet up so you can uh, see how it compares to your, your pavilion at, at Expo in Milan. Chef yeah, Ahmed, yeah, thank yeah, you yeah, so, yeah. so much. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Joined live on the line by the food diva herself, Samantha Wood is live on there to help you out. Shall we decide where to go this weekend and talk about some of the hottest restaurants in town too? You can join the conversation, ask any questions on 4001 or use the ARN Play app as well. Samantha, how are you this afternoon? Good afternoon. I'm good, Helen. How are you? It is, I'm, I am, in a word, entertained by the incredible messages we're getting in with people turning celebrities into food. We've got Kristen Stewart, Adam Lambert, Justin Timbersteak, Lionel Rich Tea Biscuit. It's um, creativity knows no bounds this afternoon. Um, thank you for being with us. I know you're very, very busy and especially busy now that you've launched um, a new concierge service. But before we talk about that offering, Samantha, for anyone who's um, never heard you on the radio before, isn't familiar with your social media and website and obviously the events that you do, can you take us back a little bit and tell us how and why you started Foodiva in the first place? Well, Fadiva's actually 10 years old this, this year. Oh, my bro. Um, yeah, uh, thank you. So I was working in corporate hospitality PR, decided to make the leap to do my own thing. And I'd always harbored this idea of being a food critic or a restaurant critic. But I didn't want to work um, for someone else here because I knew my integrity would be compromised. Mm-hmm. So um, given lack of sort of no freebies policies, etc. So I decided to launch what was at the time a very amateur um, food blog. And it's kind of grown organically from there into essentially what is a restaurant review website. I call myself a restaurant reviewer or a food writer. And on the back of that, I've also launched dining experiences and I also take on a little bit of consultancy. So I have a few hats. Ten years is incredible. Reflect- it, is, it really is. That I mean, we don't have Instagram ten years ago. <laughs> how, how did you build a profile? Uh, no, but it, when we think about how much the world has changed in terms of the Dubai dining scene, but also, as you say, how it's, how it's reported, how it's shared, where, where do you see the major shifts? What stands out in that decade of dining? Um, well, I think we've very much moved away from a city that was a haven for celebrity chefs, mm-hmm. imported brands, to one that is thriving with local, independent, homegrown concepts. And I think that's what brings me the greatest joy is, and that's also a sign of a maturing restaurant scene when it has its own talent Mm -hmm. um, that it's, that it has developed. Um, So that's, what's really fascinating, I think, and the biggest, biggest change over the last, yeah, of the last decade and at least five to six years as well. Uh, So it's been 10 years of dining out and you've got incredible connections and relationships in the restaurant world. And now you're introducing a concierge service. What's it all about and how does it work, Samantha? Well, this is something that's been on my mind for a few years. And then last year, when I was adapting my business plan due to the pandemic, I decided to move forward with this service. So it was essentially, it was actually ready to launch this time last year. But with travel restrictions, I decided to hold until these were lifted. So now with travel travel really sort of finally bouncing back, this is a service that's aimed at both visitors, residents who can benefit from restaurant recommendations. So anyone who is a foodie and is looking for somewhere different to dine out. Now, it involves a number of um, services within that that I can offer. Um, It could be just simply a set number of recommendations for breakfast, lunch or dinner. 
It could be a food itinerary based on preferences and length of stay. So if visitors are coming here or if you've got visitors that are coming here that want to be entertained. Um, and it's something that they can then enjoy at their own pace. Mm -hmm. um, I also um, supply a concierge service with restaurant, renovate, restaurant reservations and um, even an online call for someone to pick my brains. I so that's love essentially this. The, the different parameters. I'll, and I'll tell you for why I love this, Samantha, because... Um, date nights and nights out are a rare and beautiful thing uh, for me right now. So when I go out, I want to make sure I'm going somewhere where I know I'm going to have a good time, <laughs> where I know the food's going to be fantastic yeah. or I'm going to try something new because we're all looking after our spend right now. And that doesn't necessarily mean going out and wanting to spend 50 dirhams for a family of four. It's, but it's more to do with wanting to spend money well um, a lot of the time. So I think this is a really valuable one. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Samantha Wood joining us this afternoon, aka Food Diva. She's recently launched a concierge service. This is helping people, whether they live here in the UAE or coming from abroad, to make sure they have the best dining experiences while in Dubai. She's also helping you book tables. And Samantha, which begs the question, where is it nigh on impossible to get a booking right now? Oh, um, good question. I'd say not probably impossible, but tricky because it's very busy, is Mimi Kakushi. Um, Have you tried it? I've never even heard of it. <laughs> it's an independent restaurant. It's modern Japanese. It's run by the same group as La Cantine, mm. Twiggy, um, Ninive, Lanalusa. And it's based at the Four Seasons Jumeirah in the restaurant village, ah, where, okay. you know, near Koya. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, yep, I do. It's very close to where I live, so I should know it. And is it because it's a small space or is it because it's super popular? Has it got a bit of a... Bit of a hype it's thing popular. going on. It's, it's quite no, it's quite a big space. It's all indoors. It even I think um, even over the winter that I don't I don't think there's a terrace if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, no, it's just very popular. It's um, it's it's a fantastic restaurant. I really would urge you to go there. Um, great for date night or with a bunch of friends. Um, they have a brunch offer as well on both Fridays and Saturdays. Um, but the decor is very sort of 1920s Japan. Mm. So it really harks back to another era. Okay, and then the food is modern Japanese. And do order the bone marrow with beef tartare. It uh, is stunning. Samantha, yeah. if I can get a table, I will. <laughs> we just tried to book Maine for my husband's birthday, which is well, at the okay, end of October. Maine. No chance. There was that. I think they've got a Friday available for weeks and weeks. So wow. it just goes to show there are some very, very busy spots around town yeah. and uh, more power to them. Now, as we said, we're picking your brains this afternoon. We've had a number of messages of people looking for exactly that, some, some advice when it comes to dining out. Narita said, I always dress up when my husband and I go out, but he just wants to have a burger. Is there a posh place where you can get gourmet burgers? Most restaurants do have a, some kind of burger offering if they're a certain you know, cuisine or, or style. Any good uh, high-end burgers out there? Um, I'd say, why don't you try the pangolin? It's Chef Troy. He's an, an Aussie chef that used to work very closely for Greg Maloof, actually. Um, and he's um, opened a restaurant with um, Serge from Ex-Tom and Serge at uh, Dubai Els Club. And there's a sort of more casual restaurant downstairs and a smarter one upstairs. And he does his sort of own twist on a burger, I believe. Um, I've not personally tried the burger, I have to say. But it's the kind of place where it suits families, date night. It's, it's a mixture. And you can dress up. I mean, I think when it comes to the whole dressing thing in Dubai... Anything goes. You're not. You can go in casual. You can dress up a little bit more. It's just up to you and your personal style and what you feel comfortable with. And I've got just one minute to help out Leah here, saying, "Haven't been out in eight months. Had a baby. Then there's been the COVID scare. I want to go out with my husband for a nice meal somewhere in Business Bay or downtown. We both love seafood. Where's hot? Good question. Make it count these date nights, especially when you've got a little one at home. What would you say mm -hmm. in, that, in that part of town? She's saying seafood, but maybe that's not essential. What would you recommend? Yeah, you know, seafood, I don't have a recommendation for that side of town. If you want nice seafood, go to Alici, the Italian seafood place at Blue Waters, or something that Ibn, Ibn al-Bar at Club Vista Mara on the Palm. 
Um, otherwise, I mean, perhaps, I mean, looking at, I mean, you mentioned the main mm. in business pay. That's that's a good call, good shout. Um, or perhaps in DIFC somewhere like Avli, the, the Greek question, you have Foca there, you have BB. There's quite a few in that area. I mean, you will get some seafood on the menu, obviously, but they're not seafood focused menus. Yeah, um, or you can go to the Oyster Shack if you want something really casual. No, if you're going out having a baby, you want to you you want to have a night out. Keep the oyster shack for a, a month's time when it's a little bit cooler, and you can take baby in the buggy. Samantha, thank you so they much. They've closed it, by the way. Yeah, say again. They've enclosed it, oh. so you can, and it's air conditioned. Yeah. Oh right, good. See, that's why <laughs> that's why you're on the show because you know everything. If anyone wants to uh, pick your brains, whether that is virtually or having a chat with you about some restaurant recommendations, everything is online. Um, Samantha Wood, thank you so much. It is food diva across uh, across the website and the social channels as well. What? Where are you going tonight? Well, actually, I'm going for a vaccine booster, Woo-hoo! so I'm hoping I'm not going to get side effects. So You'll, be You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Wild times, eh? Wild times. Well, I'm taking the kids out after the show. We're going for pizza at five o'clock. So, yeah, great. <laughs> it's all exotic in my Have world, too. Have a slice on me. I will, my love. Have a good one. Thank you, Samantha. Thank you. So, Samantha, with their concierge service, if you're looking for some recommendations. Maybe you've got guests in town and don't know where to start. Brilliant idea. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are getting spicy this Thursday afternoon, getting in the mood for the weekend with lots of food chat and more specifically, chilli chat. Anki Gulabani joining us from Spinneys as we discuss the Scoville sale. So what I want to know from you this afternoon on 4001 is what is the hottest thing you have ever eaten? If you've got a photo... Even better, send it through on the ARN Play app. But just let me know, how are you with your spice? What's the hottest thing you've eaten? 4001, use the app, pop your name on as well. Ankit, where are you from and do you think that affects your tolerance for spice? Yes, for sure it does. I'm from India, um, from Bombay specifically, and we have a lot of chaat on like a daily basis. Mm. So yes, definitely that can get spicy. And um, yeah, it does affect your spice tolerance. I think I, I, I would say I have a higher spice tolerance than a lot of people. I, whereas I'm at the other end of the scale and cry <laughs> frequently when having spicy food. I, f- I often feel like growing up in England, there's this whole kind of ego and i think it's mostly men to be honest around way i can take my spice um and which often results in sometimes a late night curry where men will just cry into the into their plates but do not want to lose face with their with their with their friends so let's talk the technical side of spice if that's all right for those who don't know what is the scoville scale so, you know, chilies are a part of the capsicum family. And that burn that you feel when you bite into a chili comes from a compound called capsicin. And that's actually in the pit and the ribs, not in the seeds, as many people tend to believe. So it's in the pit and the ribs where the heat is concentrated. And birds are unaffected by this capsicin, but humans are. And so to measure the potency of the capsicin in any chili, you have to use Scoville heat units. Um, and Scoville heat for, to measure the Scoville heat units, you need to dissolve the capsaicin compound in a sugar water solution until the heat is undetectable. So the more that it needs to be diluted, the higher the Scoville oh, heat unit. Oh, okay, right. So where did, how did this come to be? Because it is used internationally and it's, it's, a, it's an official thing. There is a scale of foods on the scale. Um, how, yes. long, how long has it been around for? It's been around for ages, ages. Like it's, I want to say like like 1916. That's when Wilbur Scoville discovered it. Okay, right. Now let's talk a little bit about <laughs> my end of the scale, the the lightweight end. Tell us what is considered to be, you know, for uh, uh, yeah me from you know the north of England or anyone else that's a bit of a wimp when it comes to spice what's a safe space on the scale for me what can I eat from the very bottom the bell pepper has zero scoville heat in it so. perfect let's stop there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, padron pepper would come next that has between 500 to 2500 scoville heat units then from after that we have pepper juice 
uh, you get them in the little jars it's beneath and they're so so delicious in sandwiches with deli meats they are thousand to two thousand scoville heat units i like those okay so that that might be where i'm kind of at even if i go and get nachos at the cinema jalapeno can kind of give me a bit of a a bit of a shock are they above my little kind of jarred ones. My mouth's actually watering thinking about them. Where, where's, a, where's your jalapeno? Uh, the jalapeno is right after, actually. That falls under the lightweight, not the heavyweight. Oh, okay. And we've reached the Helen Farmer limit. Okay. <laughs> what then is the kind of the more interesting one? The, the three hottest. What's in at number three? Um, at number three, we would have the bird's eye chili, the most common chili that you can find in Dubai, the slim small ones mm-hmm. that you know are going to be really spicy and they are they are between 50,000 to 100,000 scoville heat units crikey okay and that's not even the top two spots what takes the silver on the scoville um habanero my favorite i uh, have... really like it what okay so what, what what would you do with it so um basically they because uh you can because of their sweet fruity flavor they are so good in salsas i like to chop them up really fine and like add them to salsas to just add this heat and also of course they are delicious in hot sauces okay right <laughs> so i'm 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 afraid to ask what takes the top spot on the Scoville? And is it actually edible, Ankit? So, yes, it is edible. Uh, it is the Bucilokia, or the ghost pepper. Um, it is between 800,000 and 1 million Scoville heat units. It, uh, just just give a, to give you perspective, it's 170 times hotter than Tabasco sauce. Oh, crikey. I'm guessing a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a little bit on the tip of your finger. So the Bucilokia is also referred to as ghost pepper. And uh, Bhut comes from the Hindi word for ghost. And, but it actually is, Bhut comes from Bhutan, so like this Bhutanese pepper. Do people actually cook with it and enjoy it, or is it just a bit of a novelty thing? They actually, yes, they do cook with it quite a bit and enjoy it. And especially in like places where it's really cold, then something like this just like adds a little bit of heat to the food. And keeps a little bit, a little bit, a million on the Scoville. Just adds just a, a little bit of warmth to a dish. Uh, <laughs> crikey. Now, hot sauces are having, I have to say a moment, they haven't. The, the hot sauces have been embraced by hipster community, and it's rarely a cafe you can go to where you're not going to see some hot hot sauce on the table what are some of your favorite hot sauces that you can find on the shelves at spinnies and any suggestions on what to do with the man kit um so my favorites are of course a classic and uh, a hipster classic you would say is the hoi fong shiracha and chili garlic sauces mm-hmm. um it, it comes in the classic uh, plastic bottle with the green top and uh, the, the shiracha is made from sun and red jalapenos that are fermented which gives it that really lovely taste and uh, I squeeze it from everything, from indom- on Indomie to smashed potatoes. Um, yeah, I, I, I absolutely love the Hui Fong Shiracha. I have friends that will carry bottles of it in their handbags. Uh, I've, I've had yeah. it, it's quite nice, like some scrambled eggs on sourdough, just adding a bit, of, a, bit of, a bit of warmth. Now, when it comes to shopping for fresh chilies, is there anything you should be looking for in store? Any clues that might give away how much heat lies beneath the surface? Um, I would suggest when shopping for chilies, uh, you've got kind of just this as the size thing is what for me uh, works very well is uh, the smaller the chili, I found it to be a lot spicier and the larger, more fruity, the larger ones would be fruitier. It would be much more to, like um, it would be a lot more sweet. I think that's the that's the deceptive thing. My kids will look at peppers and go, "Oh, that's a cute little pepper," and I go, mm, "No, that's 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 problematic." Um, and the flavour does it tend to change then as as they ripen? Does that make sense? Is there a kind of a scale even yeah. within the same same individual chili? Yeah, for each and every chili, uh, the flavours are intensified. You like toast them or roast them, but from the from the ground, from the time that they're grown, if you're looking at the ripening of the chilies, they, they, the taste changes. So a green jalapeno versus a red jalapeno, the taste is completely different. The green jalapeno, you chop them up in the salsas and use them on a daily basis or through in guacamole or something. But the like the red jalapeno is what is is uh, ripened, and you taste the red jalapeno when you have shiracha. So that's the difference. You kind of make me want some 
spicy food this weekend, to be honest. I'm now planning, like, mm, what should I have for dinner? I feel like I need some spice in my life. Um, you are a really keen cook yourself. What are some of your favorite ways to cook with chilies? So I very recently made a mole sauce at home so to, to for my enchiladas and I use three kinds of chilies in them. So we get at Spinney's we have dried andrew chilies uh, from uh, Waitrose range and uh, dried chipotle as well. So I combine dried andrew chilies and chipotle and some crushed chili flakes uh, in hot water, soak them up, blitz them and cook them down into a hot, hot uh, sauce that I tempered with some chocolate because a mole sauce tastes delicious with some deep dark chocolate sold thank you so much now there's more on the spinney's website with a bit more information about individual chilies um using them but also kind of what to look for as well um what a i know you can't win this prize because you work for spinney's but if i was going to give you 500 dirhams to spend in spinney's which is the grand prize today what would you be shopping for this weekend uh, what would I be shopping for, for from Spinney's? Yeah, if I was going to give you five hundred, so you get to go to the go to the uh, fill up your trolley, but you don't have to pay. Let your imagination go wild. What would what would you spend it on? Uh, from the hot sauce section. No, for anything. Uh, I would get the sprig habanero hot sauce. Uh, lots, of, lots of it. <laughs> yeah, lots and lots of the sprig habanero hot sauce. I love habanero chilies so much. Ankiet Gulabani of Spinney's, lover of chilies, and will happily scoff habanero peppers all day long. So the hottest chilli on the Scoville test is the Carolina Reaper. Sounds dangerous. I would love to see Ankiet sample some. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Don't forget, you can tune in live to Farmer's Kitchen every single Thursday afternoon on Dubai I 103.8 between 2 and 5 p.m.